Hello, Bulls fans, and welcome to the CHGO Bulls podcast. Thank you for joining us today on this Friday, 5.30 p.m. in Chicago. We're loving life at the moment, William. Uh, I'm so glad to be talking about the Bulls today with my favorite X and O's breaker down of the game. It is William Gottlieb. How are you, sir? <laughs> oh, God. You got I'm the just, You know what? <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy Me to be too. here. I'm happy to have you, mate. Bulls basketball is um, just fulfilling in every capacity. I'm feeling whole. This team is just, it's making me really believe in a higher power, in happiness <laughs> and love. And I'm just really excited to talk about them with you. <laughs> higher power. Speaking of higher powers, joining us as well is joseph in the background pressing all the buttons joey thank you for supporting us and doing what you do mate um but william another higher power that we're talking about today well we mentioned the bulls more generally but billy donovan this will be an enthralling conversation clearly a hot topic at the moment is the bulls coach we want to start off with uh talking about a a number of different things billy being one of them but we want to take i guess a step back based on the week that was what has happened what has not happened, maybe the shot distribution, the play style, those sorts of things, as well as um, the Caruso topic, which is seemingly a hot topic amongst the fan base at the moment, at the moment which I've got some takes on. And uh, I know you certainly do too as well. And then we'll uh, talk about maybe the defense later on and we'll come back around this thing out with uh, some blow it up talk. And I know uh, Gabrielle was in the, in the comments here suggesting, um, you know, he's all for blowing it up and, uh, Gabrielle, we'll be definitely talking about that to close out the show. So that's what we got in store for you all today. But uh, William, let's take it off. Lead me into the week that was. Well, I think first and foremost, I have the honor today of doing this podcast with perhaps the most hated man in all of Chicago Bulls Twitter. (laughs) Um, So I'm just really excited to see what kind of negativity you can muster up uh, to bring into this conversation. Um. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about these bulls here. Um, so this week, uh, it's only been two games. We got a win against the Jazz, a loss mm-hmm. against the Suns. Mm-hmm. Um, that win on Monday was coming on the heels of a three-game losing streak. They lost in Dallas. Uh, they lost in Brooklyn, or they lost in Dallas against Brooklyn at home, and then had a just. Uh, one of the more discouraging losses of the year, just being completely outclassed by the Nuggets. Zach was terrible. Um, really, everyone was terrible, but Zach just kind of had a couple of moments that were just really frustrating. But to their credit, they did yeah. bounce back uh, on Monday mm-hmm. against the Jazz. Jazz are not a good yep. basketball team. That was not a very encouraging win. They just kind of handled them, which to be fair, they need to do if they want to climb out of their the hole that they're in right now um, and try to win some games but um then you go back and you play against the suns who obviously are a very talented team but they've been struggling without Devin booker they get bradley beal back and going down 22 to 4 to start the game it's like i don't know what how can you how can you continually get off to these kind of starts how can you continually put yourself in this situation and i know we'll we'll kind of save this for the the third segment but it really is just the situation where it's like we're talking about the same things that they've been talking about for three years now. We can we look really good when we're doing it consistently, but we can't find a way to do it consistently. We can't keep getting off to these slow starts. Um, they're just at this point, like I think everybody on the beat, everybody in the media is like tired of asking the same questions. I'm sure those guys are tr- tired of trying to answer them. The answer is they don't know. And I think no matter how you break down these games, whatever it is that you're looking at, I mean, they just don't know the answer to those questions. And I think there isn't a good answer. And that's kind of why we run into this stuff. So like, like you said, we'll talk about the offense and how that's looked. We'll talk about Billy pushing some buttons, but at the end of the day, I just, I think a lot of this just comes down to the fact that like it's been three years, they still don't know the answers. And that probably tells you all you need to know. Yeah. I mean, to no one's surprise, I agree with you. Uh, I kind of feel like they do know the answers, but maybe just don't want to admit that they know the answers because, you know, it, knowing the answers and what those answers, you know, are or what and we're admitting those, those answers, answers are. Yeah. Yeah. And admitting that answers now when they all have come out and basically said, hey, this is our last 
our last go around, we need to make it work. Then I think inherently they know what the problem is, but whether they're willing to admit it, certainly not publicly. Um, I would be shocked if they ever did, but maybe this is what the whole players meeting slash team meeting was about after game one of the season. But I think they all inherently know what the issues are, but how do you solve them? I don't think you can solve them just because this mix of plays is just not, it's just not possible to maybe solve the issues at How hand. How many different times can you try to put a puzzle together when you don't have the right pieces to the puzzle? Exactly. And, you know, it's it's not just the players. It's not just the beat guys um, who I, c- I can appreciate if we're sick of asking the same questions, having to feel the same sort of questions and hear the same sort of answers back. But I, I, c- I wish I could remember whose who's tweet I saw this online today, but there was a Bulls fan on, on Twitter today saying um, they've kind of tuned out a little bit in terms of, digesting the bulls whether that's watching games whether that's following along to to podcasts like ours because they're sick of hearing us talk about the same old thing and to be fair the reason why we're talking about the same old thing is because the same topics continue to be an issue they continue to be a uh, persisting issue and the team itself have sort of tried to address it or have said that they wanted to address it this this off season and seemingly things haven't really changed this the shot tr- distribution itself william i know you've been following this and pushing this on 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 twitter and sort of educating the fan base more generally on but the the shot distribution itself hasn't really moved at all. They're still taking effectively the same level of shots or the same type of shots. The difference from last season to this season is just they're not hitting those same shots. So maybe there's some upside there if you want to put a positive or optimistic spin on it that even if they do the same things that they were doing last season, what they're doing now in terms of results is literally the worst case scenario. So there is some scope for improvement in how they're doing things. But we know what that scope of improvement looks like, which is getting back to 40-ish wins anyway. So the question then becomes, you know, why, why, why are we doing the same thing again? So the shot distribution is the same. The play style, for the most part, is the same. And this is all... The maddening thing is, like, this was a team that was talking about how they're going to try to reinvent who they are and who they wanted to be. And through nine games, we haven't seen that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the simple way to put it is, like, the reason we're talking about the same thing is because they're playing the same way. The reason we're talking, yeah. they're playing the same way is because they've got the same roster. And so it's like this chain of just talking yourself in circles. And sometimes I honestly just feel crazy trying to like think my way out of this because it's just the answer is right in front of us. It's all the same. So nothing is going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of nothing changing, uh, yeah, the shot distribution, the shot profile, where on the court they're getting these shots. And this is, as you said, something I've been really pushing um, in my coverage of this team right now. Because, and we we even went over it last week, but shots at the rim, the uh, change from last year to this year is 0.4%. They're taking 0.4% more attempts at the rim this year compared to last year. They're taking 0.5 fewer attempts in the short mid-range. They're taking 0.4 fewer uh, percent of their shots in the long mid-range and 0.9 total. So they're taking overall less than 1% fewer shots in the mid-range than they were last year. They are taking fewer corner threes than last year from 0.86% down to 0.81. So half a percent less frequent from the corner, um, about 1.1% more non-corner threes, so above the break threes. And in total, they're taking 0.5% more of their shots from three overall. And before we really dive into this because I think there's a lot to talk about. I do first want to credit the Bulls for following through with two things that I think are really important and that actually should be, in my opinion, leading to uh, or influencing the shot profile a little bit more. And that is drives and paint touches. Paint touches in particular is something that Billy Donovan said, you know, a couple times without saying, but a couple times directly saying like, we need to shoot more threes. Yes, that needs to happen. But we also need to take the right threes. And how do we generate the right three, right threes? We need to get the ball inside the paint. That's where you get offensive rebounds. That's where you get fouls. That's where you get shots at the rim. And that's where you get spray outs. I know I've said this a million times, but the paint touches, I think, in a lot of ways is just as important, if not more important, than the actual volume of threes. And to their credit, they are getting into the paint a lot more. Last year, they were 28th at about 179 paint touches per game this year they're 19th with 20.4 so they are getting inside the paint a little bit more which is a huge step forward and like i said that has the ability to influence multiple different factors uh 
in terms of ways that they can generate points. Like I said, offensive rebounding, foul drawing, shots at the rim, and threes. They're also driving more. Um, I don't have the numbers up in front of me, uh, but they are getting to the basket on drives uh, at a much higher rate than they were last year. Um, 47.9 drives per game this year compared to, this is bad podcasting, but 42.8. So five five more drives per game, which is great. I mean, that's that's huge. And like I said, it has the ability to really change the way that they're getting their offense. The problem is it's not actually manifesting itself in where on the sh- on the court they're getting those shots. As I mentioned, basically no zone on the court has changed within 1%. So everything's the same. Um, and that's led to a, a worse offensive rating, even though the actual ranking has gone up a little bit, Billy. <laughs> Before the other 20 seconds, we're up two places. I, I I asked him like, you know, something about like the way that the offense was progressing. Um, and he kind of said like, you know, we're, we're at a better, we're, we're better than we were last year. And it was like, well, you're scoring five points per 100 possessions worse than you were last year, even though they are up two spots. So yeah. um, to me, that is a big concern. Like you kind of alluded to there, the, uh, efficiency, I think, will go up just due to the fact that this year they're shooting like 51% effective field goal. Last year was 55. They are a better shooting team than this. But the problem is it doesn't matter because they're still at a deficit the way that they're creating their offense. Um, and that's just at, at a baseline numbers level. Like when you actually look at what's happening on the court, when you look at their body language and the way that they're trying to get into these shots, it's just not very much more encouraging. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And look, I've, um, I, I guess I'm not surprised and not to toot my own horn here, but I, like I wasn't expecting grand changes from the offensive profile. There are there have been some things that have changed, as you noted, some things which I didn't expect to move to the degree which they already have. So to that point, yeah, they deserve some credit. But more generally, in terms of the type of shots they're taking, in terms of the zones as to where they're taking them, I'm not surprised as to how this is sort of played out. But, you know, it... it, it I think the introduction of Kobe into the starting lineup has been interesting. And I don't know if you want to talk about this now, if you want to save it a little for later, but I think it's all, all these topics are somewhat related. And I think Philip in the comments here raises a, an interesting point around, you know, Kobe breaking down the defense and how that is a plus, but they've been taking the ball maybe out of Kobe's hands, or if it had the ball hasn't been in Kobe's hands, then it's probably been in less in, in, in DeMar's hands, sometimes less in Zach's hands, certainly sometimes less in Vooch's hand, uh, hands. Remember that thing that they were talking about in the offseason about how they were going to play through Vooch more? That's not a thing that anyone's talking about anymore. That seemingly has gone away. So I think the introduction of another ball handler into that starting unit whilst it was kind of needed to do what you sort of said in terms of getting into the paint, getting into the lane, sort of trying to generate three-point shots or trying to get uh, generate paint and rim pressure by having another guy out there who can do stuff on ball when the ball swings to second side. Maybe it's whether it's Kobe, whether it's Zach or DeMar, they're in that position to, to take advantage of that. Just having that extra ball handler on the court, it made sense. But I just wonder if it's just introduced too much... Uh, or too many guys trying to get their own their own offense flowing at the one time, and and because of that, they're defaulting back to who they've always been. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm theorizing. But no, that's I kind think of you're onto something like. because yeah, I was looking into this the other day, and I haven't really done a full deep dive. But last year, or from last year to this year, Kobe has doubled his pick and roll ball handler frequency. So the amount of time yeah. that he's operating as a pick and roll ball handler has doubled from last year to this year. And I find that to be really interesting because there have been moments where it's like Zach and Damar in the corners while Kobe and Vooch run a pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, is that really the way that you're going to maximize this offense? So it's one of the ways that I think they are trying to do stuff that's different. Um, But to that one, it's like, it's almost like, I think in a lot of ways, making matters worse because where you have this struggle between, and again, I, I don't want to make it sound like these guys don't like each other. I don't think that's the case. But just in terms of play style, in terms of, you know, this desire to be the number one option, I do think there is some friction and taking the ball out of both of their hands to put it into Kobe's is kind of a interesting strategy. Um, And I'm I don't know, maybe that does, you know, put Zach in a position to where now he's getting less touches and he feels like he does need to do more when he touches the ball, Um, as opposed to a situation where 
you know, you have a, a true sort of floor general traditional point guard type that can just, you can get DeMar running off a screen, get him the ball at the elbow, and then he can get into a shot as opposed to a four, five, six dribble isolation that gets DeMar into a shot. Um, Kobe, I think, has done a really good job of breaking down the defense, getting into the paint, uh, just being a dynamic player that can like score at the rim or spray it out um, or step back and shoot. But the Bulls kind of have that in Zach, and I don't think that they need to like necessarily split those possessions up even more. Um, yeah, I mean, I know you're you're very pro Billy, and and um, I think you're right in a lot of ways. But to me, the rotations have been one of the questions that I know you've been having with this team, and so have I. Of like, are we really splitting up playtime? Are we really putting each of these guys in a position to succeed as best as possible, given the personnel that's out there? Yeah, look, I'm pro Billy in the sense that I think some of the the uh, you know critiques that come his way about the team more generally are unfair because I, I I'm of the view that it's more roster construction and the the fact that it doesn't fit, and not to say it's the players' fault for them being who they are, but them being who they are, it just doesn't make it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. We've got enough evidence to suggest that. So I I don't want to put it all on him, or I don't I don't necessarily think he is the main problem, but something that I have disagreed with, which I've voiced on this podcast, which I've made known on Twitter too, is last season I wouldn't have started Io and Patrick Williams, but he did that. This season I was questioning all through preseason. Why have we not seen Javon Carter? at least get a chance to get a run with the starting unit in preseason, see what that look look what it looked like and you know make the decision from there. But we didn't go that far. And obviously this season we started with Kobe and Pat next to the the mid three, which I always kind of felt like was pro- problematic because we at this point, even though we understand who this mid three is and what they can and can't do and the fact that they as a three man trio are a net negative, but we kind of know what what type of player works next to them. So I'm surprised that you know someone like Javon and Tory Craig or Alex Caruso, and we can talk about Caruso in a sec. I'm surprised that the rotation has gone the way it has. But you know, it is what it is at this point. Now, do you change that because it would be a fundamental shift to what you want to do? Because you have made a conscious effort to get Kobe in there to get the paint pressure to get the that, that extra ball handler, as we sort of noted. Bringing in a Javon Carter as an example fundamentally changes who you're going to be on offense in that starting unit. Now, maybe it's for the better, maybe for it, maybe it's not. But another thing that I guess I just don't understand as well is we as a fan base have talked about the lack of development, the lack of priority on these younger players, the lack of on-ball reps for these younger players. That Now that conversation has been typically reserved for Patrick Williams. We have a situation here with Kobe where we're trying to maybe give him those opportunities. And, and to be fair to Kobe... He earned those opportunities in preseason because he was really good in preseason. But are we now, after nine games, prepared to throw that away? Do we want to deviate from that? Like Kobe's jump is not working at the moment, but he's doing some good things out there. But I don't know. The sentiment just seems to be that everyone's out on Kobe again, and I'm just confused because so many, so many fans were in on Kobe in preseason. Now we're back out on him. Now we want Javon in when people didn't want Javon in at preseason. I'm just confused by it all and. If I'm confused by it, I, I wonder if uh, the Bulls are somewhat confused about it or at least thinking about, you know, do we make another change to this starting unit? And, ma- and maybe they need to. Uh, qu- quick uh, interlude before getting back to our regularly scheduled programming. Just some absolutely hilarious tweets that I want to inform you of as, as we've been recording here. Uh, from the CHGO Bulls account, when we tweeted out the link to our show today, uh, a Kobe White Brazil account said, love Will, but if Mark is in it, I ain't watching. <laughs> <laughs> Kobe White Brazil, so, come watch my friend. I just, I was just, I was just, you know, banging up on your guy here. And then uh, Calvin Hobbs sixty nine tweeted, "Mark K is the Donovan of CHGO." <laughs> and then the best one yet. I maybe this is you. Don't don't say if it is, or maybe you want to. I don't know. It's not me. But there is a burner Mark K oh, account. Yeah, MK yeah, hoops yeah. with a Z. Yeah, Trash yeah. ass takes. CHGO Bulls, CHGO Sports in the Twitter bio. Oh my goodness. What yeah, were we no, talking about again? Because all those people are blocked, I believe. But um, what, yeah, what, thanks for ruining the conversation and the flow by bringing up these absolute numpties. But, uh, <laughs> but look, uh, 
what were we talking? Oh, yeah, that what I was I was praising Kobe White, and I'm just confused as to how quickly this fan. And I, and I get it. Look, I get it. We, we're all annoyed. We're all disappointed. We all want changes. We want things to be different. The tension so, is so high amongst the fan base right now. Where, yeah, I've experienced it today that you, you can't even be sarcastic or joking without um, getting some blowback by certain people. But there is so much tension within the fan base that. Yeah, I don't know. People are just over this team, over this this iteration of the team more generally, to the point where like we're we're chopping and changing what we want to do more generally very quickly. And yeah, I, it, it's funny. Like we talk about this with Pat uh, William, where people go hot and cold to the point where you know me being the Patrick Williams hater, I come back to be the Patrick William optimist because now people are, are are calling him a bust. The same thing is kind of happening with Kobe as well, which I don't, I don't understand. Like we, we go too far on the spectrum sometimes and I don't get it. But anyways, it is what it is. Let's continue talking about this. But before we do, let's let's pay some bills. Hey, we, we need to pay some bills. We need to make some money. And uh, I want to tell everyone first about Varsity Coolers. So William, if you, I know you are obviously going to every home game. You are you obviously covering the team for for us here at chgo uh, i don't know if you bring your bring your food or you bring your gear or if you're well fed at the stadium but in the event that you want to you know bring a perfectly cool or perfect bag that has all the cooling options that you would need something that you want to put your lunch in your drinks in whatever it might be if you need the perfect bag for game days uh, for game day you should be visiting our friends at varsity coolers who will set you up with the best day uh, the best game day pack that you could possibly have they have unique designs, whether you want to get stuff in your team colors or anything else, you can certainly do that. Uh, in this this bag itself, obviously, it's going to keep your food cool. It's going to keep your drinks cool. But we're coming into Christmas season now as well. What a great gift idea this would be, particularly if you know of, of people that, you know, get to their games, whether it's in, whether you're seeing the, the three and the dominant uh, Chicago Bears who are three and seven now. I had a three-point win the other night. If you if you're going down to Soldier Field and want to pack your goodies, bring it in the varsity bag. Similarly, if you're going to the United Center and you want to support your team, bring your stuff in the varsity bag. If you're going to play golf, you want to keep your drinks cool. If you want to uh, keep your food cool, use a varsity cooler bag there. So, friends, if you want to uh, head over to varsitycoolers.us and when you do, use promo code CHGO at checkout, you will receive ten percent off your order. All thanks from us here at CHGO for you for supporting us here. And uh, we appreciate Varsity, uh, Varsity Calls for supporting us. But uh, another one of our friends, William, is also game time. They're here to hook everyone up with some um, some goodies too. I was just about to ask Joey if he's around. What time is it, Joseph? Game time! Woo! There he is. There he goes. Game time is the best way to get tickets to any sporting event any music show, any comedy or theater event near you because you shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. They have killer last minute deals, all in prices, and you can even get a view from the seat that you're looking at potentially purchasing and their best price guarantee. Game time takes all the guesswork out of buying tickets. They have last minute flash and zone deals. Uh, you can easy to find and buy tickets for every event in your area. Lowest price guaranteed. They even have event cancellation protection job loss protection, and more. So to take the guesswork out of buying tickets, check out the GameTime app. You can download the GameTime app, create an account, and use promo code CHGO for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code CHGO using the GameTime app. Download the app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Guarantee. All right, well, let's keep talking. This is a good conversation. I'm enjoying this. Uh, do you want to get on your soapbox? Do we want to talk Alex Caruso? Because this is another um, lightning rod topic at the moment. I wanted to offer that to you first because I think oh, you you've been you've been pushing more the uh, look for me. I guess like pri priority number one is keep this guy healthy, and I think he is. I'm probably the leader in the Caruso clubhouse as a, as it relates to like his impact on the floor. I know a lot of fans, like especially Lakers fans are just like Crusoe stands because they just love the bald Mamba. But yeah. like, I, I truly, I, I hesitate to say it cause it sounds crazy because like you need to put the ball in the basket, but like, I think there's a pretty legitimate argument to make that Crusoe is the best player on this team is the most yeah. impact on the defensive end. I think he impacts 
he he's like so when you talk about like Trey Young or Damian Lillard, like automatically when they're on the court making you a top five offense, that's mm-hmm. Caruso on the defensive end. And mm-hmm. look, defense is never going to be as valuable as offense. The ability to put the ball in the basket will always be more important. But the way that Zach and Demar are playing right now, the way that Caruso is playing right now, I genuinely think he has more of an impact on winning on the outcome of games than anybody else on this team. And it's mm-hmm. crazy because he's a 6'4 guard guarding power forwards and playing 25 minutes a game. And it's like, yeah, you want to get him out there more, but you also need to be really careful about his minutes. And I think that's the situation that Billy Donovan finds himself in. To your point earlier, the Bulls, if they're trying to win games and they appear to be trying to do that, they're not necessarily succeeding, but they're trying to. The best way to do that is to put Caruso and another three and D player next to those big three. And when you're trying to restrict, it's not a restriction, but they're trying to keep Caruso under 30 minutes a night. Um, Obviously he played 31 the other night, but that was uh, an overtime game. I think ideally they want to keep him around 24 to 28 minutes. Um, It's difficult to do that if he is a starter Um, It's even more difficult to do that when he's coming off the bench and you want him closing important games. So I understand the difficulty there, but for me, and I think this goes, uh, this is true with what we just talked about with Kobe as well. Like you should be able to, as a head coach with your coaching staff in the NBA, you should be able to come up with a plan that allows you to play the combinations of players that you want to see together while also keeping them under a minute's limit if you're trying to do that. And so to me, it's possible to put Caruso in the starting lineup and also keep him under 30 minutes or keep him under 24 minutes. You just have to be more judicious with when you're pulling him out of games. And if you're looking at the way that they played against the Suns, when they went down 18 to four, Caruso comes in and basically they're winning. Like you have to... You have to consider the the fact that they are. Sorry, I'm getting distracted by uh, Steph's um, <laughs> Steph's comment here. Should not have told me about the MK Hoops with a Z account. Uh, <laughs> just registered at MK Hoops with two zeros and 100% using it to mess with CB Fred. Um, over well, the next I'm week. glad Stephen Noah is joining us. Um, thank you, mate, for uh, <laughs> following along. I'm Again, glad we've had a couple, couple of interludes to this show that are just. Yeah. Mark absolutely getting roasted by the Chicago Bulls Twitter (laughs) fan base. Um, But yeah, my point is, I think it's possible for Billy Donovan to accomplish starting Caruso and also playing him less than 30 minutes because they can't keep, if they're trying to win, they can't keep getting off to 15 or 18 or 20 point deficits. They just can't, period. I mean, I I don't disagree in in respects, in many respects, but at the same time, again, coming back to the whole Kobe thing and, and, and the the rate in which the fan base is swinging from one thing to another. And maybe this is different people um, voicing their, their, you know, different opinions. So maybe it's not the same collective changing their, their, their mind all of a sudden, but like, I know you and I took a lot of heat in the off season for merely suggesting that Alex Caruso was the best option for power forward on this team. Even last season, there was segments of the fan base that were reluctant with Caruso going into the starting unit to close last season because he was replacing Patrick Williams so they're maybe not the same people, but again, this is one of those topics where now all of a sudden the opinion, the, the collective opinion of the fan base is, I guess Caruso has to start. And I mean, another example of this was last season, people wanted the offense to run through Zach Levine because they were sick of DeMar DeRozan. And now people are sick of Zach Levine and they want nothing to do with Zach Levine running the offense. So the way we swing from one thing to another is just fascinating to me. And again, I think it just comes back to the fact that this fan base more generally is tired of this team the tired of this mid roster and being into the situation when there are, but coming back to address your point, like I get it. I, I agree that I, I, I mean, I have no fundamental issues with going with your vets. I, like I said before, I would have made it to Javon Carter to start this season. And the reason you do that, obviously is you get a facsimile of what Caruso does in Javon Carter. They're obviously not the exact same player, but it's a defense first player that you're putting next to the middies, which was, which would have been fine. And then you bring Caruso off the bench and you save him from yourself. But I, I guess I, I just come back to that point. Like something we as a fan base have also 
talked about for the last how many years is the fact that we need to protect this guy from himself because the way he plays is just damaging and he's going to break himself. So I do wonder if he's someone that you can consistently play 28 minutes of the game. And I think if you're in that starting role, if, you, if you're putting him in stints where he's playing four stints, protect, protect, you know, somewhere between six to eight minutes per stint, which you would need him to play, then I do think there's there's a further chance of him getting hurt. And what does this team look like if he's not available? I, I, I get the conservative approach, I guess, is my point. I'm not against it. I'm not saying it's correct. But I understand why they are being ultra conservative with Caruso and his minutes and those sorts of things. So so long as he's closing, I don't care if he starts or not. I think there are you know options to, to make this thing work without Caruso in that starting unit. I don't know if Kobe is the answer to that. But clearly, Caruso is in the closing lineup, and to me, that's more important than the starting lineup, anyway. But it's just yeah, fascinating I, how I, the the narratives have changed. I guess that's no, that's I, all I totally agree. And I think, I mean, the narratives changed because Bulls fans are just dying to find anybody that they can like yeah. truly be a fan of. Because somebody on this roster, no matter who they try to attach themselves to, is going to disappoint them because none of these players are perfect. And it's not like a Joakim Noah situation where, even though they're a flawed player. You can't help but get behind the energy, the toughness, the leadership. Like they don't really have a guy like that, except for Alex. And again, I think I've made my opinion about him as an impact player pretty clear. Yeah, I think no, there's a right. strong, strong argument to be made that he should be starting just to avoid getting off to these terrible starts. That's what happened at the end of the last year, and it's what dragged their defense from ten to five in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, it's like if he's as long as he's playing the same amount of minutes, it doesn't really matter to me because he's going to be closing. Um, but I also think that they are kind of setting themselves up for failure to a certain extent when they go down ten or fifteen or twenty points in the first quarter. It's just it's it's the same as you know starting a season three and six. You're just in a hole, and now you, there's we we talk about the margin for error with this group. There you have even less margin for error now because you basically have to go three games above 500 the rest of the way in order to just be a 500 team. And is even that good enough? I don't know. So I think ultimately like Billy has got to be able to, he, he, he said this today at practice. He wants to be able to experiment more with these guys. It's difficult when, you know, you want to keep their rotations consistent, but like he should also be able to mess with the rotations. Um, to try to put the right guys on the, on the court at the same time. Um, because we haven't even seen a lineup. We have seen zero possessions with Javon, Tori Craig, and uh, as Zach Lowe called them today on the low post, the three betas. Um, so I don't know the mid three, the three betas. I'm not sure which we like better. Um, yeah. I just, I think he's got to be, and I think he is flexible and willing to do that, but it's just, it hasn't really shown up in the sense that he's still trying to collect data on, the lineups that he does have. I do want to see Javon and Tori Craig out there. Um, I've liked what we've seen from Caruso and Javon uh, and Patrick Williams in that second unit. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately like we're kind of missing the point with all this stuff, which is that like the, the best players on the team aren't good when they're on the court together and you can try to tinker with stuff to, to make them better um, and you can put them in positions to be worse, but you're only going to be so good if your best three players are in the negative. Um, and I actually kind of asked Vooch about this today at practice. I was like, you know, I know Vooch is like very anti-analytics. Like he does not like analytics at all. And so I said, like, I know you're, you're out on analytics, but the lineup data suggests that when you are on the court with Damar, you guys are good. When you are on the court with Zach, you guys are good. When you three are on the court together, you guys are very bad. What's your take on that? Why do you think that is? And he just looked at me and he was like, I am not a fan of analytics. I don't know. And he was like joking. And then he kind of gave an answer that was basically, I just don't know because again, they don't know the answers to this stuff because they've been doing it for three years and it still hasn't resolved itself because there isn't a good answer. Well, yeah, again, I, th- I think we know the answer and I think there is a good answer, but I don't think these guys are going to be the ones. There isn't a good solution. Answer. I should say. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, there, there isn't a solution, but yeah, I look, Again, I am a Billy apologist for for a number in a number of different ways, but I I don't think I think when he got the lineup wrong was uh, at the start of the season. Like that's when he got it wrong, and I think he got it wrong at the start of last season too. 
And I, and again, I said as much at the time. So whilst I do defend, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be critical when I think it's relevant. So I think they got the rotation, the lineup wrong to start the season. They're trying to work it, work it out now. They've already made a change to it. I, I don't know what message it sends to make another change to it again, nine games in, but maybe maybe that's just like some cost fallacy that that i'm sort of buying into into here like maybe maybe you should just cut your ties with what you're currently doing and pivot as soon as you can to to right the ship as, as quickly as you can so maybe but i'm wrong like, in that too maybe maybe tinfoil hat theory a little bit but i do think that like there is something to be said for trying to first give your young players that you're hoping to have around for a long time the best chance possible to succeed and yeah. In part, I think that means starting, but also in part, like, can you put them in a position where they're playing, you know, playing off of star players and looking good doing so? Um, and I think obviously the answer very quickly for Patrick became, no, this is making him worse. This is making matters worse. Let's get him out of here. But for Kobe, I don't think it's been as bad as it was for Patrick. I just think that there are better options. And so part of me just feels like, you know, as an organization, whether it's front office, coaching staff, combination, they want to try to give Kobe as long a leash as possible because at the end of the day, the best thing for the Bulls long-term would be Kobe really excelling as a starting point guard. And so they want to give him as much rope to be able to do that as possible. Yeah, and look, Billy has settled on his closing lineup at this stage. Uh, I mean, the the starting unit, well, the previous starting unit of Kobe, Pat, and the middies had played 130 possessions. Uh, that was overwhelmingly bad. They'll they minus twenty in those one hundred and thirty possessions. But their second most used lineup is Caruso, Kobe, and the Middies. And in those lineups, one hundred and twenty three possessions, the Bulls are actually plus six point two. So that's why I think he's reluctant to maybe pivot from Kobe just yet. Now, obviously, maybe Caruso is the one that's really you know uh, amplifying that four man unit. Caruso plus Kobe plus plus the Middies. Um, but there's also other Caruso lineups that aren't necessarily functioning as well as you would maybe have have, have liked or had hoped. But um, the point being, I, I and this is this is amusing for me saying this because I've traditionally not been a big Kobe guy. But I, I, you've given him the starting role. He's played well to close last season. He's played really well in preseason right now. Maybe I'm being silly here, and maybe we should be pulling the plug on on Kobe now. But for me, at least, I think he's earned. A few more games, and the fact that this, you know, that he's been part of certain five-man units that are functioning and are functioning well, particularly that closing lineup. I don't know. I'm reluctant to do it, but maybe my tune will change in two, three games' time. Uh, it is the schedule is starting to tighten up. The Bulls are three and six. It's it's make or break time now. To in, in many respects, and maybe they should be making that change. But ah. <sighs> Yeah, look, look, we've got more to talk about, William. We've got more to talk about. Let's let's take a break. Um, I need to to collect myself, and uh, <laughs> I need to think about something else for for at least, for at least a brief moment in time. And what I want to think about and what I want to talk about is our friends at Circa Sportsbook. So, if you are wanting to make money, if you wanted to gamble, if you like gambling. Would I suggest gambling on the Bulls? Absolutely not. Maybe maybe bet against the Bulls and you'll be making a bit of money at this point. But if you want to obviously get your hands on a um, an app and enjoying yourself, you know, putting some money on the line on these games, whether they're the Bulls games or other games, Bears games, other NBA games, whatever it might be, um, obviously support our friends at Circus Sports. Uh, if you want to download the app today, uh, you can do so at circusports.com slash Illinois-app. And when you sign up today, be on the lookout for any of the circular events, any of those sort of watch parties that we're doing, tailgate parties. I'm pretty sure the, the Bears guys had one yesterday, didn't they? If I'm not mistaken. So if you want to uh, get involved in that, support our friends at Circa Sports Book and uh, you know enjoy enjoy gambling responsibly with your mates. Enjoy the uh, the atmosphere and like I said, maybe put a a wage or two against the Bulls. And even if they lose, you're you're going to end up happy. So. Uh, Circus Sportsbook, thank you guys. Uh, another one of our, you know, just this is my favorite sponsor. And, you know, no, no disrespect to all the others. I, I obviously appreciate everyone that supports us here at CHGO, but Goose Island, William. Boy, do I need a Goose Island after my day today. And uh, it's starting to heat up today. It's starting to heat up in Australia now. And uh, it's perfect beer drinking weather. And damn, I want a goose. William, you want to just you take the ad read? You seem very passionate. <laughs> 
I don't. I don't. I need okay. a break. I need well, a I'll, I'll handle it. I'll handle it while you take a, a glug of your Goose Island beer because <sighs> when you are at your circus sports book, you're locking in some bets. You're betting, you know, Bulls to lose a game, uh, <laughs> opponent to uh, cover the spread. What you want is a Goose Island beer in your hand because Goose Island is CHGO's su- supporting beer. They've been sponsoring us and they have been Chicago's sponsor beer since 1988. They've got an incredible roster lineup of delicious brews that you can drink. They've got Oktoberfest, the Beer Hug Family, the 312 Wheat Ale, and the Full Pocket Pilsner, your everyday beer. And it's what the brewers are drinking. And it's also what Matt and Dave are drinking before, during, and after every single one of our pre- and post-game shows. So grab an ultra-fresh brewery-exclusive beer at the Goose Island Original Brew House on Clybourne Avenue in Lincoln Park, or from their tap room on Fulton Street in Westtown. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer, and CHGO's Beer. That, that Goose Island beer roster. I mean, we're we're talking about the Bulls making changes to their starting unit. We're talking about the fact that most of their five-man units have a net uh, negative rating, that they're all you know just so far in the minus in terms of plus minus. That that's just not true with uh with Goose Island. Uh, every they just, every single they just complement each other so well too. It's like it's like Jokic, the Nuggets guys, just back cutting and shooting threes. They every just, Goose Island beer. It's a perfect is Alex Caruso. Perfect. Roster. They should name a beer after Alex Caruso. That's what they they, they did actually do a uh, collaboration beer with the Bolts. So you should uh, yeah. you guys should check that one out too. There you go. Um, yeah, definitely need a beer. But anyways, let's close the show out, William. I don't know what we, what do we want to talk about. I mean, do we want to talk about the defense or do you want to talk about blowing it up? Which one do you want to talk about? I mean, the defense is getting blown up at the, at, at this point in time, so maybe it's all connected. But I um, think it is all connected, and I just have one small thing to say about the defense, and then we can yeah, yeah. Uh, blow this thing to smithereens. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bulls are not good at defense this year. <laughs> it's and it's a little bit surprising, honestly, because of how good they were last year. And Mm -hmm. look, as we kind of mentioned before with some of these other stats, like you could be scoring fewer points for 100 possessions, but also be a higher ranked uh, offense than last year. So last year, 113.8 offensive rating, 24th overall. This year, 109.7. So almost four points for 100 possessions worse, but they've moved up two spots in the rankings. With the defense this year, they moved down from 112 and a half, which was fifth to 115th. That is not good. Uh, that is 22nd overall. So they are 22nd in offense and 22nd in defense, according to cleaningtheglass.com. And the one issue that I have with it, so I guess I'll say like, it takes a while to get the defense running on full full cylinders, right? Like the Bulls do not defend with five, with four elite perimeter defenders and Rudy Gobert in the back. They're not like the, the Timberwolves that just have guys that can really pressure you and then have like the ultimate safety valve back there. They have to defend with five. They have to be in the gaps. They got to rotate. They got to, you know, get out and scramble, contest, uh, and finish possessions with defensive rebounding. They haven't really been doing any of that at a high level this year. And I think there's still time to change it around. I think they're a better defense than 22nd. Um, but I think the, and this kind of leads you into the breakup, the the blow it up stuff. But it's surprising to me that they can be this bad considering they have the same roster as last year, because the whole point of keeping together a team of building through continuity is to be able to pick up where you left off on the good things and to be able to make adjustments where you need to. And the fact that they've taken such a dramatic step backwards, I mean, 17 spots uh, decline from where they were last year is like, I mean, to me, that's like pretty inexcusable. Um, I know they played some good teams. They've had some uh, bad shooting luck against them. But I mean, the point of continuity, the point of keeping this thing together is to be able to get into the season already ahead of the curve, already, you know, taking away that time that it takes newer teams to kind of coalesce and come together and gel to, to where they are performing at a high level. The bulls have done the opposite. Um, I asked Zach about this today and he kind of said like, look, we weren't fifth at the the first 10 games of last year, it takes time. But, and and I I agree with that. I think that's true. But to me, like that's where the argument of continuity comes in. And the idea that if you're going to keep this thing together, you got to be good at the things that you're good at. You don't have time 
there's no scope for you to be bad and then have to recover. Like this team can't afford to do that. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm still kind of amazed that, that it has been so bad considering that was their strength last year. And they brought everybody together and touted that as a reason why they were bringing everybody back together. And it's, it's fallen this far. Yeah. I, I mean, fundamentally I agree, but even though they've largely remained the same and, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but I, I did think it was a bit of a risk to fundamentally change key aspects of who you were to close last season going into this season, particularly when the schedule being what it is to open this season. I think there was a risk associated with that. And I think we're living that right now. And I mean, the, the court is connected. I think the fact that their offense has been what it has been has this team, I, I've always questioned their mental fortitude and, and their ability to, you know, to, to play out the next possession. But with the offense being what it is, I think that has bled into the defense as well. Coming back to what we were talking about in terms of the, the five-man combinations, I think this was a risk in putting Kobe into that starting unit was the defense. Now, he he himself has improved on defense, but the rotations, the off-ball stuff, which he talked about, which is key to this team, they're trying to protect trying to protect the paint and then ultimately trying to get back out to shooters. The, the amount of missed rotations that have been out there just because the communication just hasn't come, that has been super concerning. So the defense itself suffering the way it has is probably the best argument and one could have in terms of wanting to put Alex Caruso into that starting unit. Um, but I mean, the signs were there against the Suns the last game. They they played a really good defensive game. Uh, there have been some other pockets of good defense throughout this season. They've defended the Indiana Pacers pretty well. There's also been pockets of games where they've been terrible on defense, where they've been blown out by the Nuggets, uh, the, the Mavericks, and even the, the Detroit Pistons had a pretty healthy offensive rating against this Bulls defense. So I do think there's upward mobility for this defense. That That's one thing that I'm not as concerned about. But uh, yeah, it, it not being where it has been is concerning. But I think when, uh, you know, when I was diving into the, the numbers, William, the Bulls are really good in forcing teams into, into half court last season. They were able to get their defense set up. And I think last season off the top of my head, they were sixth in the amount of half court opportunities they were forcing their opposing offenses into. This So far this season, they're, they're bottom 10. I think they're 20th or 21st, something like that. So they're having to defend more in transition than what they were last season. And in doing so, obviously, transition offense is far more efficient than half-court um, offense. So uh, when you're defending more in transition, less so in the half-court, that's going to impact you. Why are you defending more in transition than you are in half-court? Well, maybe because your offense stinks and you're not connecting on offense as you'd like. So there's a lot of problems there. Uh, there's a lot to dive into there. The I think another, is an another, um, another reason why the defense has struggled, and I wrote about mm -hmm. this the other day, is mm -hmm. that uh, the contest rate has been so bad. They are giving up a similar amount of threes, last I checked, which was a couple days ago, as they were last year. But last year, something that they really took pride in was the ability to get out and contest on those threes. They, they tried to wall off the paint, prevent you from getting shots at the rim, force you to spray it out, and then get out hard and, and contest hard. They're not really getting out to contest right now. Um, I wrote this uh, the other day for diehards only, um, so you can go back and find that if you're a diehard. But basically, the the thought was that like the amount of uh, threes that they are giving up that are wide open, as categorized by the NBA, which is six or more feet of sa of separation for a shooter, is like, you know, it went from top five to bottom five. And so a lot of the threes that they are giving up are now going in as opposed to not. Um, and that can obviously change things. But the other one, I think, as Billy has talked a ton about, as you kind of mentioned, was the rebounding. And last year, they were third in uh, defensive rebounder rate. This year, they're 28th. Um, if you're That's not getting sad. defensive rebounds, they're getting putbacks. So now you're giving up transition points. You're giving up uh, offensive rebounding and second chance points. You are not getting out to contest threes. And it's like, you're just not helping yourself. And Again, I think a lot of that stuff will get better. I think some of those numbers will normalize. But the fact that they're not doing the things that they need to do in order to cut off those things and prevent them from being bottom five numbers in the league, that's concerning to me when, again, the point of bringing this group back together was so that you don't have to waste time at the start of the season trying to figure out who you are defensively. 
trying to get into your groove defensively, there is no margin for error for this kind of thing. Um, I posted a, a screenshot of the upcoming schedule for this team. I mean, it is absolutely brutal coming up. They've got five games in seven days starting on Sunday. They've got the Bucks three times in the next 18 games. They've got the Heat four times, Orlando twice. They've got the Nuggets again, the Celtics, 76ers, the Thunder again, who just absolutely destroyed them. The Pelicans yep. who are playing well, the Lakers, the Raptors who are out for revenge. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, these teams are all really good. Uh, even the Magic, I mean, they're better than the Bulls are this year. They've got a positive net rating. They're a good mm-hmm. team. And like, you don't have time. All of a sudden, you're going to look down at the schedule. It's December 20th and you're 10 or 12 games under 500. If you're not correcting these things from the jump, it's going to get, you may not have time to get to a point where you can like recover from it. And at that point, it's it's going to be a little dangerous. And that's, I think, where you get into the conversation about making some real changes and and how feasible we think that is. Yeah, yeah, it is what it is, eh? Jeez, we're negative, William. God, we're, we're so negative as Bulls fans. Oh, how, how dare we be so negative? But let's pick up let's pick up the uh, the positivity of of the show and, and close with talking about blowing it up. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even get through it. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> blowing this thing to smithereens, eh? Because for all the reasons we, we talked <laughs> we talked about. Now they do have the opportunity to turn this thing around. And, and look, the funny thing is, even though we're, we're talking about the schedule coming up. Ordinarily, you, you you look at two games against the Orlando Magic. You got a, the next game on Sunday night, which you guys will be obviously covering, is against the Detroit Pistons. Like there is an opportunity to right the ship, assuming you can get your shit together. The Bucks themselves aren't necessarily playing their best basketball right now. We talked about the Bulls' offense and it floundering the way it is. The Miami Heat on offense might be just as bad, if not worse. They're taking. So many long twos themselves. They're even more efficient from two-point range from long twos anyway than the Bulls are. So, I mean, if you could just get your shit together, like you you can get your shit together. Now, I know that's ironic to say because this is literally what we've been saying about this team for the last two years. So why the hell are they going to need to do it now? But I guess the point being, there is an opportunity to maybe write the ship if you can. Now, I'm not expecting them to, which is why... This always comes back to the whole blow it up nonsense. And I, I don't know if I'm ready to talk about this right now, not because I don't think it's the right thing or not because I'm not a blow it up person because clearly I am and clearly everyone tells me I am about how negative I am as a Bulls person, but I just don't think this is the right time to be talking about it, not because it's not the right thing to do, but like, can you even blow it up right now? And I say that because like, what teams right now are wanting to buy your stuff? more generally, but can they even afford to buy their, the bull stuff at this point? Because, I mean, so many of these teams have recently signed free agents. If you want to move Zach, if you want to move DeMar, whomever it may be, some of the these guys that you need to include from the other teams from a salary matching purpose can't necessarily be moved until December 15. In some instances, they can't be moved until January 15. We've talked about like Zach and DeMar consistently being connected to the Lakers as trade options. Cool. I, I expect maybe that to heat up and to continue to heat up as as we move forward into December and January. But like those trades can't be legally happening until December or January. So I'm all good with talking blow it up, William. Nothing excites me more. But it, it, are we going too soon in terms of actually getting a resolution to this blow it up talk? Assuming that the fa- assuming this stupid franchise even wants to blow it up at all. That's exactly where I was headed. Um, I think people are finally coming around on the blow it up idea. And this is where I'm going to come in and be the wet blanket and just say that, like, I don't know that that's going to happen. Um, Great. Everything that the front office has said about this team is like, we want to, we have no appetite for a teardown. We want to compete. Uh, We want to be a tough out. We want to make the playoffs. (laughs) We don't want to just be in the play in. That was, you know, too nerve wracking. They don't want to be this bad. And I think in a lot of ways, it's out of their control, whether they're good or bad, because the rest of the league is just in- improving at a rate that they can't keep up with and mm-hmm. they aren't great to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't see a world where they're one, f- like taking their medicine the way they would need to in order to trade all three of these guys. 
Two, finding the partners to be able to get those kind of deals. Um, and all of that just, yeah, comes back to the, to the point of like, do they even want to do that in the first place? Um, I just, I wonder how bad things would actually have to get for them to get there. I wonder how much uh, pressure you would have to be getting from a Damar or from a Zach asking for a trade in order for that kind of thing to happen. And even if they do, I think there's a real possibility that it's not going to be the like picks and young players kind of package that I think ideally they should be looking for in that situation. I think they're going to continue to try to find players that can help them compete now and uh, try to reorient around whichever one of those three guys they can keep or whichever two of them they can keep. So um, ultimately, I think it's about getting to the playoffs. I don't really think they care how far they go once they get there. Um, and so to me, it's like, I don't see a rebuild coming. I see them potentially missing out on the playoffs because they're just not good enough, but I don't necessarily see a big trade. And maybe it just takes longer for the front office to come around on the fact that this isn't working because to me, I felt this way about it, not this past summer, but the summer before that. And then at the deadline, I was like, are you kidding me? We're five games under 500 now. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. And then it was, you missed the playoffs and your justification for not making any trades is because you almost made the playoffs, but you missed the playoffs. Like they I just, they've had, they've had, they've had, they almost beat the heat. They were three minutes away from winning a game, but they lost. And if they had, they've had, they would have been in the championship. And then they the would have been in the finals. They would have been yeah. playing against the Nuggets. You never know. Uh, I just, I don't see them coming to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. And I also, I, I don't know that it will necessarily matter because maybe they end up with a lottery pick anyway. Um, and then it'll be, well, we got this young, talented player who can help, you know, the, the core of guys that we still have on this roster. So it's my way of saying like, don't get too ahead of yourself in the full on blow it up, you know, sweepstakes because i just i still i i just wonder how bad things would actually have to get in order for them to come to that conclusion yeah fair enough well i'm a bulls optimist and as is optimistic bulls fan here in the uh the comments and he notes the bulls could pull off a portland style tank job and to do so basically all they need to do is just trade caruso and keep the mid three and this team will play with zero heart and pride and lose 80 percent of the time so i think that's a perfect way to wrap this thing up i mean we, we've We've, uh, you know, acknowledged the the greatness of Alex Caruso and the fact that he is a plus minus avant. That he is, if he's not the most talented or the the best player on this team, he's certainly the most impactful. And maybe that's all you have to do with him is maybe just get him off the roster. And who knows? I, I was, who was I talking? I think we were talking about this in on um in, in the CHDO Discord that the Bulls might be one and eight right now without Alex Caruso. So. Maybe that's all you need to do. Maybe you just trade Caruso for two or three picks. Maybe let Caruso get to a contender. Let him decide who's going to win the championship. I think whoever trades for him, assuming he's even trade eligible, like the Bulls would want to trade him. But if one of these contenders gets their hand on Caruso, I think he could really swing the championship in, in a lot of material ways, in, in part because he would make that team so much better. But the fact that those under, other contenders don't get their hands on Caruso. But maybe that's all we need to do. Just trade Caruso, let everything stay as is, and... You we are, you know, organically tank your way to a number one or number two pick, whatever it might be. Um, or just look, trade everybody else and rebuild around Caruso. How about that? Well, there you go. What it just that's the way we end this podcast. We don't start Caruso. I mean, you start Caruso, you put him into the starting lineup, you're not only just starting him as a starter, you're starting the entire rebuild, the entire retool, the entire everything around this guy. I think that's a good place to end this show. But uh William. Thank you for joining me. This has been a fun chat. Uh, I enjoyed this one. Everyone in, in the comments, we appreciate you too. Uh, everyone obviously listening, uh, wherever you're listening from, Apple, Spotify, wherever wherever it may be, we appreciate your support. Thank you for everything you do supporting us here at CHGO. If you're loving what we're doing, follow us on Twitter at CHGO underscore balls. Hit the like button on the way out of today's YouTube session here. Um, you know, If you want to drop us five-star reviews, wherever it is you're listening, we'd certainly appreciate that too. I also would appreciate it if you follow Will underscore Gottlieb on Twitter. He's doing amazing things covering this team. You, you don't get coverage like th that which William is giving. He's got a. I think he, I think you found your niche, William. 
I'm proud of you. I think you found your niche within the beat. You give you give us a voice that maybe doesn't exist in the beat. So I certainly appreciate that. So go tell William how good and handsome he is on Twitter at Will underscore Gottlieb. If you want to tell me how terrible and toxic I am as a person at MK Hoops. Like Not I said, to be confused at- with at MK Hoops with a Z. <laughs> Please Thank be you. sure. Thank- it's MK Don't Hoops with an that S. Person up. Don't cast that idiot up. But uh yeah, thanks for everyone for joining us. Matt, Dave, William, you'll all be back on Sunday. Bulls are playing the Pistons, so we'll have you covered for that game on Sunday evening. Uh, we'll speak then, Bulls fans. But uh, yeah, thanks for hanging in there with us. We appreciate it. Speak next time. We all silly like the mayor.